Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Chunky Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We rollin'! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back, and we're reporting for duty here on a Monday. It's Monday, October 2nd, 2023. And we're excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. We got a few results from overseas, one championship. But really, other than that, there was not much going on this past weekend. And it's been 17 weeks since we've said that, at least pertaining to the MMA leader, the UFC. A rare off week for them. But already we turned the page and there's lots to talk about this weekend. There's a UFC fight night, Bellator 300. So a lot of ranked fighters between both organizations uh, scrapping this week. Should be fun. Let's discuss that. Of course, the latest news, that never stops the news cycle for the past seven days. Or really four since we last spoke to you. And uh, maybe another surprise or two. You never know with Junkie Radio, especially since today is our 3400th episode. So thank you in advance to all of you for anyone that's ever taken the time to listen to the show. I know some of you listen to uh, many shows, and I think there's even a handful that have listened to every show. We thank you all from the bottom of our heart so we can start. Now, guys, I'm not playing any mind games or trying to bait anybody or trick anybody but i will say this if i had caught every one of these shows for the last 16 and a half years all 300 and 3399 and we get to 3400 i just don't think i could stop even if the show in my mind started to suck <laughs> or go downhill i just think i'd be like oh yeah you two think you're hard I'm going to outlast you. I'm going to be there till the end. And ain't no way uh, I'm going to stop. I'd almost see it as a challenge. I know there's a few people that have done that. They've never missed a show. I think Nick Abbott is one of them. And I want to say Tim Friedman might be another one. Yeah. So, and honestly, I guess I'll give them a pass. If you tune in. What's the minimum? Do they have to listen to the whole thing? Or can you say, I caught 15 minutes, I caught some of the show? I don't think you could do too many of those if that is your thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you give a pass here and there, a couple of them, but if you're just continuously coming in and yeah. catching 30 minutes or 20 minutes and bouncing, I don't know if that counts. 
we did give people a break when we went from five weeks to two, right? Yeah. Or sorry, five days a week to two days a week. So they did catch a break there. But no, honestly, listen, thank you to everyone. And enough on that. We've never really been much about that other than when we would do our gatherings, our junkie gatherings revolving around round numbers like 1,000, 1,500. I think we started going 1,750, 2,000, 2,250, 2,500, something like that. Yeah, we did get out of hand. But they were still round numbers, and they were yearly gatherings more than anything. But, mm-hmm. yeah, 3,400, look, that's as round as it gets for us when you do go twice a week. And the next week, going will be 3,500. So, again, thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody. So, on today's show, look, we can chat about some of the news uh, from this past weekend, which goes and I, we were part of today's Spinning Back Click crew. So, we'll probably maybe extend some of those discussions. I, I, I just wanted to chime in since I'm the host on the other one and I really don't give my takes too much. I just transition. Um, I did see the Nganu workout goes this past week. John Fury, he strikes me as old school. And I just think he bit on something because really, I think he just kind of probably likes to hear himself talk. And the Fury bros and John Fury like to talk. No shit. Of course, it kind of does look like that's not the type of warfare that's going to take down your son who's a proper champ, a great heavyweight champion. I'm not ready to anoint him as the greatest, but he's definitely one of the greatest we've seen. So little Captain Obvious there with, yeah, you know, there wasn't anything that wowed us. But I have seen enough MMA and boxing workouts where someone can destroy the pads and just get clobbered in the fight. And someone who's basically just not done much at their workout, if anything, and then come out and be destructive. I think anytime you see there's more of this in boxing than there is in mixed martial arts where your father is one of your trainers. You know, this happens quite a bit. Those guys always seem to be more passionate. And you have to take what they say with you know, the grain of salt. Like it at the end of the day, yeah, it's your trainer. He's also your father, right? I think he's a little bit on the smarter side because I think he understands promoting fights and what you have to do to sell fights. And I think he's doing exactly that. So I don't really take what what he's saying too serious. And at the same time, if you have any type of a brain, you have to understand that Francis Ngannou probably didn't put a lot into that workout on purpose as well. He, you know, there's no way he's going to win. Even if he tried his hardest and just didn't amount to anything near what a good boxer should look like. He's going to lose, right? So I think uh, if I were in his camp, I'd probably say something similar. Like, yeah, just just touch the pads and let's get out of here. No, we don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to give anything away. It really is more about just giving the media an opportunity to ask questions and get some B-roll. Right. Yes. I, I would say that Nganu probably has three punches that they aren't, they aren't secret. He's not going to throw a punch that no one's ever seen in boxing. But I believe there's probably three sequences that could be trick plays, we'll call them, that I just don't think he wants to tip off, be it using feints and then a money punch or certain footwork or any specific spot against the ring. I think he was probably taught. I mean, look, dude, let me say, let me say this about Mike Tyson. He is 
he is one of the greatest heavyweights to ever do it. And yes, he does have his knucklehead side to him. He is a character in and out of the sport of boxing. He's had, you know, his legal problems and all that. But the one thing no one can ever take away from him, this guy's a boxing historian and this guy's a boxing strategist. And I'm sure he's already thought of what a video like that could do, whether it's promotion, trickery, smoke screens, whatever we want to call them. They they know that the, that the task is tall and they're definitely not going to slip up in that regard. Um, and, and a quick shout out to Dewey Cooper and, and Eric Nixick as well. They are, I'm sure, on top of this. So I don't think they didn't do anything that wasn't planned, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I honestly just think it's all for show. There's not much you can take from it. it it's kind of silly. But uh, that experience that you have there with Mike Tyson, it's – I go back and forth on it because he is a guy with a lot of experience in big moments – but he's also very unique in the sense that the things that Mike Tyson was able to do, I don't know that a lot of people, other people could do, right? You can't take a guy like George Foreman or Larry Holmes and teach them to fight like Mike Tyson. They just, they weren't as explosive enough. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that. The one thing that I could see maybe transferring over to Francis Ngannou is that uppercut. Mike Tyson for being a short guy threw a very good uppercut that would the way he threw it his positioning and all that that i could see i could see uh francis Ngannou landing a punch like that i could see tyson fury being a little lazy in this fight as good as he is i think i think there is a i think you're going to get the type of guy that we say in mixed martial arts when they're weighing in as a backup for a title fight i think that's who you're getting in this one i don't know that it's a top-notch tyson fury so I think there will be moments where Francis can land punches, but it's just so different in boxing than it is in mixed martial arts. Like I, I just picture Francis Ngannou throwing these punches and not remembering that they're gonna he could be countered or bringing back his hands to to defend. There, there's just so many things that Tyson Fury can do to kind of play around, and that jab that he throws is pretty nasty. But at the same time, like, I, they got my money. I, I'm definitely going to tune in. I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, that's a good example that you gave. I also feel like, and I realize I'm brushing up against fiction here, Rocky versus Apollo Creed. Uh, you know, he underestimated Rocky's ability to go to the body. Now, I'm not saying that's that's what Ngannou's got up his sleeve. I'm just saying he underestimated him. And that was boxer versus boxer. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, I'm not trying to put Francis Ngannou into the category of boxing, even though he'll tell you, I used to box before I did MMA. So I am, my origin is boxing. It just, it wasn't high level boxing. Um, I also have to be careful to not lose credibility because I'm, that's why I, I my easiest out is I'm an MMA guy and I'll always back the MMA guy. Now, if you really want to grab me by my shirt and throw me up against the wall and get a real answer from me, just tell me uh, gun to the head scenario 
or the old you got a million dollars or your rents due. You know, of course. How am I not going to bet on Tyson Fury? It They're astronomical odds, by the way. They've gone up since I think I posed this question to Steve Miocic last week. But I think with Fury now, you got to put over $1,000 to win 100 But who's going to do that? If I have the choice to not bet, I'm just not going to do it. Um, I don't need the 100 enough to risk 1000 or more than it. And I find it more funny to just put 10 bucks on Nganu to win 70, I think it is. I think he's like 7 to 1 as an underdog. Or 100 to win 700, I guess is maybe even a better example. And if I lose, you got me. But if I win, cool, I take home 700 bucks. Um, but yeah, just enjoy the fight. It's going to be a spectacle. And you just never know because the craziest things have happened in the history of sports. And who mm-hmm. would want to miss that? Especially when a good friend of ours is going to be in his corner. I'm just tickled to death and happy for him that he gets to, to live it the same way I got to see Stitch Duran walk out with um, Vladimir Klitschko in front of 90,000 people at the arena. Sorry, the Wembley. What, I guess it's Wembley Stadium. They have a Wembley Arena and a Wembley Stadium. And I remember telling Stitch, I go, that's going to be an incredible experience for you. And he had been through so much in boxing, but he wound up telling me, he goes, dude, you weren't playing around. Because he, he had done stadium shows. He had done big fights, um, but he just hadn't done something like on that magnitude. Because the English, to be fair, they really do back their guys, man. Uh, in that case, it was Anthony Joshua. And it was a good fight. Klitschko knocked down Joshua. Joshua came back, and Klitschko, who was really kind of a mm, boring, I guess, heavyweight, you know, he really, I mean, he really sold himself and went out there and and put on a show. Even in the losing effort, I can say that was one of the funnest Vladimir Klitschko fights I had ever seen. And so that's the opportunity for Eric Nixick and the guys, and for Francis Ngannou, a huge bag, and how many times, I mean, it doesn't ever look like, even though McGregor lost, it doesn't ever look like McGregor regrets doing what he did either oh no not at all which was the one where he had the world's longest walkout was that in germany yeah i believe so yeah the walkout was pretty long there that one was uh, bad. but i'm not sure if that's the the one you know the one uh like it almost looked like if he were fighting at allegiant stadium but he walked out of mandalay bay like he just wouldn't end i don't know where the hell they were so I do remember something that Burt Watson once said. Burt Watson, for some reason, and I love that old man, but he likes to wear like a dress shoe instead of a tennis shoe. Mm-hmm. And so like you just said, goes walking to and from Mandalay Bay ain't that big of a deal, especially when you have the job he does. You know, At, at that point, it's fun. They've all weighed in. That's his job is to, for them to weigh in. Now it's just to make sure that he can get them in and out just as the producer in the ear is telling them. But I think it was the show in Toronto. And we asked him, hey, man, what was that one like? You know, and he says, he goes, the show was awesome. He goes, but my feet were destroyed. And that one, he had to go far back and far in, far back and far in. And I remember telling him, were your dogs barking? And he goes, you know, he does that. He -hmm. goes, my dogs were howling. And he just said that it was a long walk up and back, and he said it, it was, it, it was funny. You know, Brady makes everything funny, but yeah. Uh, uh, again, that video is is out there, and 
it just kind of is what it is. Whatever. Goes <laughs> doesn't like that. All right. Um, another thing we talked about was Charles Oliveira. So Charles Oliveira, he isn't too happy about having to go to Abu Dhabi. I wouldn't have put it out there because, for one, if he comes up short, people are going to say you're already starting to lay the foundation for an excuse. Two, you're kind of like almost submitting to the mental warfare, even though physically you go out there and try and destroy each other. I think a lot of us know that this is all a mental thing, too. And, you know, it kind of scares anyone that puts money on the fight. Like, is this guy already making excuses? You know, I don't know. If you if you kind of see the quote, it's it's not too bad, I suppose. He, um, but it just looks like as a kind of a complaint. He says, I don't necessarily think it's fair, but it's the game. That's where the champions is. He calls the shots, but I'm coming back for my belt, whatever that is. With 12 years in the game, I kind of learned how to play the game. I knew that there was a UFC in Sao Paulo. I wanted to shoot my shot and see if it would work, but here we are. But Charles, here's the thing. In 12 years, you couldn't figure out that a title fight is just not going to happen on a fight night. You you have reason to believe that Sao Paulo is a big enough venue or city to host one. It's done it before. Rio de Janeiro has done more, but still, Sao Paulo is one of the biggest cities on the planet. I don't know if people know this. Tokyo, Mexico City, Sao Paulo all have at least 30 million people in it. I just haven't checked the numbers lately. and But it's a fight night. Like, there, it just wasn't going to happen. Um and this more isn't an indictment on what I'm trying to say about Charles. It's an indictment towards all MMA fighters. You just have to kind of take your stands, but you got to take your stands earlier in your career. And I think you just have to be maybe a little difficult to deal with. And that sometimes when you do concede, let them know you're conceding so that you can cash in on those on those rain checks or whatever it is. But th- right now, it's too late in the game. He was probably just asked the question. And he said it, but I remember he said it to us, goes at the um, UFC Fan That's Expo. Cool. In fact, he was even saying he probably wouldn't fight and he'd be willing to give up the shot. And I was like, man, I go, all this just seems so silly because I don't think he'll give up the shot. And the UFC's just not going to go there. Now, Islam Makasha fires back and he says, uh, Charles, I was asked to fight in the US in the summer, but the UFC has other plans. I'm a UFC fighter like you, never set conditions for the UFC. And fought where they offered. My last fight took place in Australia at the Challenger's Backyard. Simple. Everything you say makes no sense. Another guy pretty much saying, I do what the UFC tells me. Um, Look, did you see the interview goes with Francis Ngannou and Joe Rogan? Or at least parts of it? Not all of it. He told Joe Rogan that they only wanted to pay him. It was either a buck twenty-five or a dollar seventy-five from every pay-per-view. And that's just a damn shame because he said when they were that, – that's what they were paying him when he was – when they were asking for $60 of pay-per-view. Now they're up to like $80 of pay-per-view, but yet he's still not getting a bigger cut of the pay-per-view. And I'm thinking, man, that – I bet you – I'm going to look it up while you talk. I think Canelo Alvarez had to have cleared at least the $20 million, and Charlo was not far behind. Mm-hmm. It's just unfortunate, and it all happens when you become too much of a roll-with-the-punches type of guy. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get McGregor money, but I just think you set yourself up, and then you retire from this sport more pissed off than anything. Cowboy's the only guy that I can think of that was happy with his $10 million and he's exiting, but, man, just all these like people that have mental anguish 
um, they have TBI of some sort, broken down bodies. Is is this money really enough to take care of of you all? You know, down the road. Uh, as far as Oliveira is concerned, yeah, the other guy makes a point. He went and fought in the other guy's backyard, but like Perm, Big Perm, once told Smokey, "What the fuck that guy to do with me?" You know, mm-hmm. um, his time to have said something, I guess, would have been as champion. You have more pull as champion than as challenger. He could have declined the fight in Abu Dhabi and went somewhere else. But even then, goes, I don't know, man. These UFC pirates sometimes they'll just strip you. <laughs> well, he doesn't make bad points. I mean, I think like even go back a few uh, weeks ago, Valentina Shevchenko and Alexa Grasso, they're not a pay-per-view. They're a title fight, right? So it can happen, but, but you have to be realistic and you have to see how the UFC runs their business. And I think you can speak up, but I think the second you start, you know, saying I'll just wait or that type that, that never goes well for fighters. Just, Look, it happened. It does kind of suck that you got to go there twice. But at the end of the day, just win the fight, man. The cage is the cage, right? Just go in there. And, you know, when have we really known Charles Oliveira to be like a point fighter anyway? He's going to try and stop him. He's going to either try and knock him out or submit him. Go be that guy. Get it done. And then from there, maybe you have a little bit more power to to make things happen. Yeah. Yeah, it. It sucks. I had a discussion with somebody over the weekend and just talking about it all started with this Chandler Jones, John Jones's younger brother who won a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots is now with the Las Vegas Raiders was with the Las Vegas Raiders over the weekend. He kind of had a little bit of a mental meltdown. And so they parted ways with Chandler Jones. This guy goes signed a three year, $51 million contract. If you do the math, 51 divided by 3 is 17 million a year. And I started thinking, he's in no way as famous or successful. I mean, the Super Bowl title ring, that's enormous. Don't get me wrong. But John Jones is literally the greatest athlete our sport has ever seen. And just decorated with title defenses and title fights that he's won where he wasn't the champ, but he still won the fight. I, I would venture to say he has not made $51 million. Chandler Jones isn't going to finish that contract, so he's not going to either. But he made money with New England. But that that's the part that I think just ticks me off, man, that um, other athletes get together on a Saturday night and watch our sport. Our sport is pretty special, mm-hmm. but uh, not too many people benefit from it, yeah, like, yeah. like on that level, I guess. There are... There are mixed martial artists that are fighting to make what like kickers make in the NFL. Some of them, right? It's crazy. It really is considering they're like one in a lifetime type of athlete. You can't just you can't just plug and play in that sport. You know, if you if you lose your kicker in the NFL, somebody's gonna fill in, and he may not be as good, but he ain't gonna be that far off either. You can't do that in mixed martial arts. You can't take out a John Jones and then John Jones light's going to be, you know, just a notch below. No, it doesn't work that way. I agree. And obviously I hope for the best for his brother. It's sad to see him going into the desert and just, you know, experiencing whatever it is he's experiencing. 
that family has had a lot of success. His other brother, Arthur, won a title with the Baltimore Ravens at the expense of the 49ers. And he had a chance to sign a huge contract as well. I don't believe he's in the NFL any longer. And Chandler Jones was the baby. He did it, Jones. I mean, that, that family really has put out some champions. But, boy, mm-hmm. have they been through a lot. And uh, I thought it was all maybe more of John Jones is doing. Just he's the knucklehead of the, of the family, you know. But And I'm not saying the other guys are. But, um, obviously, you know, a lot of people have played that sport and not done what Chandler Jones has done. So I don't know if there's anything in common there or, or what. You imagine being the Tito Jackson of that family? I mean, that championship belts, championship rings. Jeez. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Makashev, sorry, yeah, Makashev does defend against uh, Oliveira. Now, here's something that broke earlier on spinning back. Like, Linton Vassell, who was going to challenge Ryan Bader for the Bellator heavyweight title, he's out of that fight. That bums me out, and I'll tell you why. Because I know a lot of you are UFC only, man. Everything revolves around the UFC. You're not wrong. The UFC is the MMA leader. And Bellator is in a spot right now where we just don't know what it is. We know it's the number two organization. Being challenged by PFL is the number two organization. PFL is regarded as probably the number three, but they have just really charged up the mountain. Bellator has a good roster of fighters that could actually do very well for them in the UFC. It really reminds me of Strike Force. It reminds me of Strike Force, a little bit of Pride, a little bit of WEC. Those are different. Pride was actually probably the number one to the UFC's number two, or at least things were evening out. So when they came over, it was just we knew those guys were going to have an impact. And they did. Uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua, Vandalay Silva, Quentin Rampage Jackson, the Noguera brothers, they all did very well. Some of them won titles and and, and so on. Dan Henderson, Fabrice Verdun. The WEC brought over lighterweight class fighters, which the UFC just didn't have. We knew that they would be great addition to the UFC because in boxing, lighterweight class fighters were starting to become the bigger names, like a Floyd Mayweather or a Manny Pacquiao or even a Oscar De La Hoya, which we got the tail end of, but he was mostly a welterweight, 147, 145 is featherweight. They didn't have that in the UFC. In fact, the UFC did away with the lightweight division, which was 155. And that would be junior welterweight or super middleweight. But they did. And we knew it goes, right? We used to call it and say, these guys belong in the UFC. Oh, yeah. They were just like, poor Uriah Faber was actually the face of the WEC, a champion with title defenses. But he unfortunately will never be a UFC champion. But I'm glad he got his due and he's in the Hall of Fame. But he was basically the UFC featherweight champion back in the day. And mm-hmm. then Mike Brown, then Jose Aldo. So that was different. But when Strike Force came over, we knew those guys could could bang. And we knew that they could come over and do well. We didn't, I probably didn't know that they would do as well as they did. Cormier, Woodley, Rockhold, Rousey, Tate, Lawler. I mean, I think all of these names that I just said won titles. Hell, even Dan and, and Henderson and Fabrizio Verdum had been banished from the UFC, or at least they didn't come to terms. I can't remember how each parting of the ways took place. But they did a pit stop in Strike Force as well, and then came back and just, like I say, compete, competed and did well and challenged the UFC, made the UFC stronger. That's what Bellator could do if the UFC took it. Now, maybe Dana White was right. Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to pay $500 million for Bellator. He paid 70 or something like that for the contracts and the video library for Pride. 
I can't remember what he paid for it with Strike Force, but they did make a deal at some point. And honestly, I wouldn't mind if they did it with these guys. If they go to PFL, then PFL strengthened and great. The number two has just become stronger. But in the reality is, I guess maybe I'm a little greedy too. Maybe I really have thought more about I just would love the UFC to take Bellator. I mean, I think PFL would would be strengthened, but it's all about your young talent. Like, give me an example. You can make the big fight of of uh, Chris Cyborg, right? And uh, oh my God, what's her name? Kayla Harrison. Kat, oh, but but that's one fight. You know, are you going to base all that money on one fight? And what if she just completely gets steamrolled? What do you do then? I think it's all about your younger talent, right? Some of these guys that came over from pride into the UFC, they gave them a lot of fights, but what is an Aaron Pico going to do? And Antonio and AJ McKee, are they going to have longevity over there at the UFC? I think the UFC looks at it and says, these guys might get a couple wins here and there, but I don't know that it's the feeling of like an Eddie Alvarez or a Justin Gagey, a must have, right? There's a couple people there that, that can make for fun matchups. MVP. Uh, I think he's not under contract anymore, but that, that would have been nice. A Johnny Eblen, I think is a star. I think that's worth that type of risk. I think that strengthens your middleweight division. It's really tough. I think if I'm in the UFC, I, I think I do pass. And PFL, that's a lot of money. There's a lot of money and a lot of fighters you got to pay. And if you're not going the pay-per-view route, you better hope you got some good contacts making some good money there with that because I, I don't know how you you keep up with all that. Mm. Well, I, I think McKee and Pitbull would do well. I'm not crowning them champions. But I don't know that any of us thought Alvarez could just walk in and be champ either. Nor did we think that with Benson or Pettis, they became champs. Melendez took a split decision, lost to Benson, so he was almost a champ coming over from Strike Force. I should have mentioned him, but who knows? I guess it's all about the matchups and what you are on a certain particular night. You know, one of Josh Thompson's greatest wins was he was one of the few guys, if maybe only the one guy that's ever finished Nate Diaz. He just rose to the occasion mm-hmm. that night. That's a huge scout for him. You yeah. Know, and he was a strike force champ. May have even been a WEC champ as well. A lot of that is starting to become ancient history for me. But the same Josh Thompson you see on Bellator broadcast. Yeah, he was a good light. In fact, he was a, he was a, an OG in the UFC in the lightweight division. Then it went away and he went and did his thing over at Strike Force. But man, Danny made me feel old today. He said we were talking about Mike Tyson. He goes, I was born in 1992. I graduated high, high school in 1996. That's in 1992, nuts. goes, I could order a beer. Yeah. That so I was 23 years old. I was I had just moved out of mom and dad's, and I was at that big house with the guys on the other side of Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. I did that from age 23 to 25, I believe. But um, anyway, let me look this up because it bugs me when I don't know it. But Josh Thompson, who's now 45, man, he was a strike force lightweight champion. I'm just curious, was he a WEC champ? I don't think he was ever with the WEC now that I look at it. Yeah. He was with US, he was at UFC 44 goes he fought at. 
crazy. UFC 44, that's nuts. Um, it, at UFC 44, that card had Randy Couture against Tito Ortiz, Tim Sylvia versus Gan McGee, Andre Arlovsky. Holy cow, Arlovsky's still chugging along. Uh, Jorge Rivera versus David Loazu, Ray Franklin versus Edwin Dewey's, Kyle Parisian versus Dave Strasser, Nick Diaz versus Jeremy Jackson, mm-hmm. Hermes Franca versus Kyle Uno. Wow, two of those guys did some time, by the way. Jeremy Jackson knocked out uh, Nick Diaz before, before the yeah. UFC. The Scorpion, like cold. No one's ever taken that name, huh? The Scorpion. I think it's up for grabs if anybody wants it, in the sense that. You know, you go through these cycles, and not everyone can be the original pit bull, I guess. There's a ton of pit bulls out there, but I, I always like that one. I don't know. Scorpions scare the shit out of me here in Las Vegas. Um, anyway, all right. So, yeah, look, that's a little taste of what we discussed on Spinning Backlick. I'm not going to say we're hurting for content or anything like that. Uh, I do want to congratulate Stamp Fairtex who just won the Atomweight title over at one championship this last weekend. She defeated Siohi Ham via third-round TKO. Beautiful body punch. Ended her night. And so now Stan Fairtex is also a champ, or has been a champ, in the kickboxing branch and the Muay Thai branch over at one championship. So she's a three-sport champion at one championship. As you know, one championship has uh, hybrid cards, right? And she's won titles in the three different sports there. So that's tremendous. I don't think I've heard of that done, or really, that's the only organization that 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 has that. I don't think any of the other organizations have had like not just one, but two other sports. So what happened was earlier that night, Angela Lee lost her title or vacated the title. She retired. She retired from competition, and the guys chimed in on this, and I just wanted to guess say my thoughts, which are, congrats. I don't think she's done because I've seen this before. Fighting is in the Lees, in the Lee family. And I just think she needs time to process not only what happened with her sister taking her own life about a year ago, year and a half, I believe, but um, I think it may have been last last winter, sorry, about a year. I, I just think that she now sharing her own mental struggles, um, she needs time. And why hold up the division? I think she's seen that she could take a few years off and still come back if she wanted to. And if she doesn't, then okay. Sounds like she thought about it because her last fight was against Zhang Jingnan. And that was a while back. She lost the trilogy bout to her. But that was her making an attempt to be a champ champ again. No shame in that. That's what Israel did against Jan Blachowicz. He came up short. But then he goes back and does well as a middleweight. So I don't know. Um, it was pretty sad. We, we talked to Victoria a few times. She was a baby, mm-hmm. man. She really was. Totally. Just a young girl. I, I honestly feel like I was interviewing a 13-year-old, but she was 18. As we get older, they look a lot younger to you. But, yeah, she was just baby-faced. And I remember the second time she came along, you could see she improved as a, uh, you know, with her PR. Someone coached her. She was more energetic. And then she was just no longer here. And I just think it was a lot weighing on that family. And I wish her the best. I think she's got Hall of Fame credentials. And uh, that's a whole other conversation, I suppose. But I really do. She had five title defenses, eleven and three. I, 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 it's not an extensive long run, you know. But still, five title defenses is pretty big. And she competed well in two divisions. She just couldn't get that second title. But she, as a strawweight, that's five title defenses. Was it against UFC caliber? No, it wasn't. But 
the UFC sets precedence. And they've said them before with athletes that barely competed in the UFC, and yet they're regarded as icons, legends, etc. Um, and so they, with them kind of only holding the only proper uh, consistent Hall of Fame, I hope one day they just consider a wing for fighters that are just great fighters that never made it over, like Patricio Pitbull, Frady. I don't know if he'll ever make it to the UFC. Kayla Harrison, I don't know if she'll ever make it to the UFC. Uh, Fedor Malianenko never made it over to the UFC. And I'm sure there's a few others that I can't think of off the top of my head, but that have really had some incredible runs that just need, just need to be acknowledged somehow. Because I think some of them have been even greater than some of the fighters that have been in the UFC. And I just don't think that's fair, but the UFC runs it differently. I get it. We're, I think we're going to see a lot more of these younger fighters retiring. This is a lot of wear and tear on your body. and um, But where Angela Lee, you know, when she talks about the mental side of things, you just can't mess around with it. The second somebody brings that up in a dangerous sport like ours, you make the right choice at that moment. And who's to say that she can't figure that out later and come back and fight, but... Uh, it is uh I would let me let me pitch something to you. You tell me if you would be in for something like this. You know, Fedor Emelianenko, he's actually in the UFC video game now, probably because they have the rights to pride and shit like that, right? If he said I never fought in the UFC, I wanna kind of tick that box. Would you be down with him fighting Andre Orlovsky in the UFC? Would that be a fair matchup and would it be worth it just to say he walked out in the UFC one time. Would you want to see oh, that? Yeah, I'll take like, that. Go away. I'll take that. I mean, they they ran it once at Affliction. I'm sure Arlovsky would want it. But yeah, I would definitely take that. Just to, if that's what was the only thing that we needed to um, acknowledge a great athlete like that. Past this prime or not? Yep. You know, go what I'll got me it. thinking about that. That's a that actually goes a really great idea. Well, what got me thinking about that was we have this sphere here in Vegas. It just opened. And they opened it with U2. I'm not the biggest U2 fan, but I don't hate them. I, I don't mind them. But the fact that it was the first show there, every, everything that kind of went into it, I would have gone. You know, If I had the money to go, I think I would have done it. And I, I started thinking, well, if you put Fedor in the UFC... And he's fighting. It's a rematch of a fight that he had already done against a guy that's, you know, relatively got probably the same amount of wear and tear on his body. All that would maybe make me want to tune in, maybe make me want to say, I got to be in the building for that. And there's money behind that, right? UFC is going to make money. So I was just curious. Uh, I was curious what your reaction would be to it. Yeah. You know, now that I'm processing it, it's actually not. I just think it's a great enough question. That you could pitch to Dana White if you just there's I look here's the thing with Dana White. If you tell Dana, hey, don't be a twat for like 20 seconds and just let me say this, I bet you you'd go, That's not the worst thing I've ever heard. Now, whether he says yes or no after that, that's fine. When he wants to be a twat, he'll say, That's the stupidest thing. Can you believe this guy? You know, until we tell him, Well, you know, they did fight once, they're very similar in age, and Alaski's probably gonna fight anytime soon yet again. So this whole thing, you know, like couldn't something be done in that regard? Would it be the 
would it be the craziest thing ever, I guess, if if he wanted to do it. But Melianenko seemed pretty set on just no, although I think I heard something out of like, well, you you never know, or money talks, who knows what. But that's interesting. And now it only works as Arlovsky goes. I certainly wouldn't want to send him against Tom Aspinall. Or, no. it, it only seems to work with probably Arlovsky. Um, that wouldn't be bad. And that quick? Yes. Yes, that's a topic for swimming back quick. I do want to throw something else out. But hold on. I got to do something right quick. Uh, okay, here it is. Here's what I was thinking. Is... You know, I mentioned money a lot. I get it. People, probably, a lot of people that are UFC nut huggers probably hate me for saying this. I'm only trying to put it in the pocket of fighters, which I think most UFC nut huggers would want as well. Hell, I'm a UFC nut hugger at times. But here's the thing: when we were okay, so this is our 3400 show, and I was kind of scrolling through pictures to give to our videographer who's going to do a nice little thumbnail for us. And in doing so, it makes me go through a lot of the history of the show, and. A, it's tough to get through Max pictures, our old JRT. B, happy birthday to our new JRT, Yogi. It's today. He's two. And C, as I'm going through it goes, guess who's guess who are some of the pictures that I came across? Phil Fatal? Baroni. Huh? No, Phil Baroni. Stefan Bonner. Oh, yeah. Um, and a few others. Justin Levins. Now, two of these guys have been accused of doing some very bad things. And I'm not sure that one of them's had his day in court. Another one is two of them are no longer with us. For sure, Justin Levins took his girlfriend's life and then his own. And then Stefan Bonner is no longer with us. But you could tell he was suffering a lot as well towards the end. And um, it just got me thinking, goes, we fight for their money. But do we need to fight more for their retirement and their their state of their health, mental and physical, and could some of the money be allocated there? The same way we care for our veterans that come back from war in the United for the United States. You know, it's not just like get them a job. No, it's also tend to them, their physical being, their mental being. Uh, are we maybe not doing as much for a lot of these fighters that bleed for us? I guess, and yet. We kind of already know. We, we're no longer wondering, goes. We've seen it in boxing, WWE, NFL, hockey. I think lacrosse has even changed some of the rules, the head trauma and what it can do. And, and you know, and it's it's here and, and present in our sport. Lacrosse. I've played lacrosse a few times, and it can get brutal. Um, but, yeah, definitely. I mean, this, the problem is it's like, they just chew you up and spit you out. And you don't have very many options out there if you're a mixed martial arts. I really do feel like in our time period, this is going to change a little bit. But I don't think it's going to affect Dana White. I think he'll make his money and go. And that sucks because it sounded like one time they were getting close to it. Um, like addressing that. And yet... The conversation, I can't remember if it was during the Zufa era or once, but he acknowledged that they wanted to start to look into, he's, he's assigned people to look into the well-being of fighters after they retire. I just can't remember if it was more on the financial side or on this. And frankly, it should be both. Some sort of a retirement by a company that's this successful 
it can happen because we see it in unions and um, corporations that allow you to build a retirement of some sort of pension, you know? Mm -hmm. But I don't know if we'll ever see it. Uh, I think we will in our, in our time, but I I think we're still a ways away from it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any memories that aren't as obvious that, like when we say you, you often get asked, "What's your greatest memory? Who's your favorite interviewer?" Is there one where it just slips through the cracks that you want to mention now that you maybe haven't in the past? And it doesn't have to be something that's so grand, but just something where you're like, "Man, I forgot about that one." On the show or because of the show? Both. Uh, because of the show, one memory that I maybe don't speak too much about, but that meant a lot to me was sitting outside of our studio at Mandalay Bay. This is at night. I think at the time our show was a morning show. And we were sitting there with Boss Rudin and Marlo Ronaldo. And uh, just the stories that would come out and just hanging out and having beers and just talking about mixed martial arts. I'll never forget that. That was super, super cool. And that all came because of the show. Now we're flowing that day. Oh yeah. We had a blast. And then, um, you know, this, we came around at a time where we kind of ushered in a new generation of fighter. And every now and again, my heart will just break. And it'll be when I go through this happened last week, just going through a picture and going and seeing Anthony Johnson's face. Mm-hmm. And so another thinking, one I saw. Thinking, man, this dude was so talented, and he was such a force. And just uh, when he would walk into a room, his big smile, just knowing that I'm never gonna see that again, I'm never gonna talk to him again. I was like, man, I I I know this is gonna happen so much more, and I don't know if I'm prepared for those types of of feelings. But guys like that, or even when you come across like a We'll come across a Don Fry and we'll just sit back and and it's like however long it was between now and the last time I saw Don Fry, it it felt like days. Because we just sit there and we start bullshitting and and you just remember how long this ride has been and how fortunate we've been to to help build a sport and to help be a part of it. So a lot of those uh memories. Miguel Torres the other day I was thinking about him. Just fun stuff, man. Yeah, those are good ones. And I did come across Don Fry, uh, Miguel, uh, a few others that are, you know, their bodies aren't the same. They're hurting in different ways. Some that are no longer with us. Some that did some bad stuff. And, um, but I did want to share this about Don Fry. So, obviously, he won't go down as the greatest ever, but he is a UFC Hall of Famer. He is a tournament champion, which to me is, I almost equate it to being a champion. I know I'll get pushed back on that, but you usually have to fight three times mm-hmm. in one night. Makes sense. And, and then you became a champion of that. They, they just didn't have undisputed titles back then. This was it. If you won one of those, you were a UFC champion. But he also won what's called an ultimate ultimate, where they would grab former champions of tournaments or strong number twos or number threes and come up with a stacked tournament, and he won that. But you know what was even more incredible, goes? 
with Don Fry's run in the UFC? Hmm. Don Fry, if I'm not mistaken, did all this like uh, in one year. So one in year. February of 1996, he won three fights at UFC 8 and was a tournament champion. In July of 1996, he went 2-1. He would have won a second time, but Mark Coleman headbutted him to death and made his face hamburger. We are still in July. He was 5-1 in 1996. And then later that year was Ultimate Ultimate 96, and he won um, three fights that night to become the Ultimate Ultimate champion. So in the, the UFC goes, goes, this guy went 9-1. and one. Wow. I'm sorry. Eight, no, nine and one. He went in the UFC in one effing year, a that's tournament crazy. title and an ultimate ultimate. That's all that dude. That's like PFL season in steroids. Mm -hmm. You know, we always talk about, oh, that's a rough year. It is a rough year, but that's what that dude did in 1996. That's like maybe the greatest year ever. Imagine if he beats Mark Coleman, two titles and the ultimate ultimate like that. It just, no one will be able to ever do that. I think I know Goodridge was part of that run. I know Tank Abbott was probably part of that run. You mean the ones he beat? I'll tell you. Sam Atkins, Gary Goodridge, and um, poor Omri Bertecci. Oh, he got thumped. Uh, Mark Hall. Sorry, Thomas Ramirez, Sam Atkins, Gary Goodridge. I forgot. I left out that in May, he also did a one on one against Omri Bertecci at UFC 6. Then Mark Hall and Brian Johnston. Then Mark Hall and Gary Goodrich, then Mark Hall again, and then Tank Abbott. And yes, there are rumors to a Mark Hall, Hall fight that um, was more of an exhibition, we'll say, like like the guys over at PFL. But um, yeah, that's still like a pretty damn amazing year for Don Fry. And then we saw him at the UFC Fan Expo, and you could just see, man, the wear and tear that year. And I'm sure some collegiate wrestling took out of him. He wrestled at Arizona State and Oklahoma State, and he had a lot of great fights, including the Takayama fight, one of the greatest first rounds ever uh, in MMA. Mm -hmm. But nuts, huh? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. This weekend, uh, we only have three title fights th that I know of. I've been hitting refresh while we do the show, so every once in a while, if you sense me just tuning out, it's me hitting the refresh over at MMA Junkie to see if there's anything happening with that, like I don't want the belt, I don't want Bellator to force it goes, even though it's the fight I was looking forward to the most because they got Bellator 301 coming up in Chicago. And if they just want to go three in San Diego and then three in Chicago, I'm kind of okay with that. They tried, right? That's all we want a promotion to do is try. We're still left with Uzman and Margot Madoff versus Brett Primus, Chris Cyborg versus uh, Kat Zingano and Liz Carmouche versus Lima Lane McFarland. I'll take it. Corrales versus. Kamaka, McMahon versus McCourt. So they have, you know, some really, really interesting fights top to bottom. Uh, or, or do you want to see s someone get plugged in here, Goes? No, I don't. I think, uh, you know, even like when you think about pacing of a card, four title fights, man, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> Especially if they all go the distance. Can you imagine? So I'm actually okay if one of them shifts over. That is a long night. You're right about that. Um, and Bellator 301, by the way, is November 17th. So it's, you know, it's not like you have to wait a, a ton of time. I, I don't know what the injury is for Linton Vassell, but 301 in Chicago has Yaroslav Amasov versus Jason Jackson. So that's their welterweight champ. 
Amosov. I think he could compete in the UFC, by the way. He's 27 and 0. Sergio Perez versus Patchy Mix. Two tough, tough bantamweights there. AJ McKee against Sydney Outlaw. I believe that is a lightweight matchup. I know McKee became an alternate in that um, Grand Prix that's happening. For example, the Usman and Primus fight is a Grand Prix matchup. It's a title fight, but it's also a Grand Prix matchup. McKee had to step out of it, um, but he's listed as an alternate. So what I don't know is if Outlaw versus McKee in any way impacts that. Savatello versus Raytheon Stotts. Patricky Frady against Alexander Shavli, uh, and I know that's a Grand Prix semifinal. Daniel James against Ali Isaev, Terrell Fortune versus Marcel Gonhal. This card might even be better. And if they can add that fight, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So uh, the only other thing I want to say is UFC this weekend. Uh, I mean, look, we'll have a little time to discuss it on Thursday, but we got Dawson versus Bobby Green goes. Uh, they got, we got, I think we're down to two more Dana White contender series and then this fight night. So the UFC's coming back strong, right? Did you miss them for one week or did you appreciate the week off? I appreciated the week off, but this Grant Dawson Bobby Green fight is exactly the type of fight that sometimes when we're talking about this card just needed a little something. It needed one of these. This is a great fight, dude. I, I, I honestly try and play it out in my head, and I, I can't I can't come up with a scenario where it's not going to be fun. It's two really good fighters. They're very different. I think it's going to be a really fun fight, so I'm totally looking forward to this. Yeah. I am too, but man, da- at least Dawson is kind of like the Dagestani fighters in that he does dominate you, it can be a little bit boring, but there is this appreciation for how dominant and what he's doing to another lightweight that's capable of so much, you know what I mean? And yet he throttles people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I might get called a joker for even putting him in the same sentence as the Dagestanis, but I'm telling you, Dawson puts away people 10-8, 10-9. He's not shy about it either. You got to stop this from happening. Keep it on the feet if you want to have a chance. But if somehow this guy gets you down, he just seems to be unrelenting, man. Dude, he he's not shy about it. You know, we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and he talked about that's just what what's gonna have to happen. You know, he's gonna have to be able to stuff I think he said like a hundred takedowns or something like that. He's just gonna keep trying. So uh Bobby Green's gonna have his hands full, but if Bobby Green can stuff him a few times. Boy, does that change things. That makes things really interesting because now Grant has to uh, has to throw back, and we'll have to see what happens. You know, at that point, it becomes a completely different fight. And I think that's what what makes it interesting for us all is it feels like we could watch two or three different fights all wrapped into one. Mm, I agree. If anybody's curious, it's Abdullah Razak Al Hassan versus Joe Pfeiffer. Joaquin Buckley versus Alex Morano. I think that's going to be fight of the night, by the way. Think so? Morano's no joke. Joaquin Buckley looks like a Greek statue, for sure. And he's definitely explosive and powerful. But Alex Morano is a tough SOB. Ricky Glenn versus Drew Dover. Jan Kutolava versus Felipe Linz. Bill Algio versus Alexander Hernandez. Carolina Kovacavich. 
a popular fighter on Instagram. She's back versus Diana Velbita. Chris Gutierrez, we talked to him. He's fighting Montel Jackson. So, yeah, this card, like I say, isn't like I'm not going to lie to you and say I just named off a bunch of ranked fighters. I didn't, but they are pretty well known. And that's what keeps things kind of interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's why the UFC is successful because Dana White just being there is a big thing. He's made kind of celebrities out of Buffer and the announce crew and your Laura Sankos and the Arianis. And so it, it's just an event, man. It's an event, and that's something Bellator was never really able to do. It was just their fighters who come through with the pyrotechnics and the production and the st- and the ramp, and all that's dope. I love it, man. I really do. The, I, once the fights begin, the fights begin. But they just, I never really, I guess, they never built it up to a point where it was uh, a mega event. And I'm not saying that's what a fight night is. It's just, it's, I don't know, hard to describe. Folks, that's our 3400 show. Want to thank you all for hanging with us, and every show means a lot to us. It's a nice round number, so maybe we plugged it a few extra times, but we're just proud of the run we've been on. And don't forget, we have another show this Thursday, and we have spinning back click every Monday, which only one more Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, and then we go back to our normal start time of 12 Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. That's the normal start time for. Spinning back, like we've been going an hour early just to accommodate the Dana White Contender Series weigh-ins because they're at the same time. And it's only a 10-week run. doesn't hurt us. We just wake up an hour earlier to do it. But we got those three things going on, the two junkie radio shows, the spinning back click, and, of course, our social media. I'm at MMA Junkie George. Goes is at the goes. Another shout-out to Yogi, the JRT. It's his birthday today. And, Goes, you sound like you wanted to say something on the way out? Oh, no, no. I was just saying I, I kind of I, – at first – uh Waking up an hour earlier is rough, but I actually kind of like it now, I think. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Uh, I dig it. All right. So, folks, uh, happy Monday. We'll see you on Thursday. Go out and be a champion. Talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.